Well, I, I wanted to share a quote actually from another person that I admire greatly in this field, Donna Jackson Nakazawa. She's one of the, another big, great teacher in the field of ACEs. And she has this quote that is so beautiful. She says, even if we have been set on high reactive mode for decades or a lifetime, we can still dial it down. We can respond to life's inevitable stresses more appropriately and shift away from an overactive inflammatory response. We can become neurobiologically res res resilient. We can turn bad epigenetics into good epigenetics and we can rescue ourselves. So I think the one thing that I want everyone to know about ACEs is that you know, two thirds of Americans have ACEs if you look at all the data. So 70% of us are walking around having had some kind of ACE, you know, so, but 100% but of us are resilient, you know, so because resilience is not something you're born with, it's actually the ability to bounce back. So it's actually something that you can be taught, you know, and so if we recognize it and we bring this into our awareness, then we can empower ourselves to actually become resilient. And so I think that's the take home message I want, because, you know, I, again, like I said, you know, this is a pretty heavy topic and I want people to understand that, you know, you, you can definitely bounce back and you can definitely become resilient and you can reverse generations of epigenetic trauma. You know, I would say you, know, you can be a change maker and a chain breaker. You know, so I tell my girls that what we want to do, we want to just break the cycles of epigenetic trauma and things that we've been told, like this runs in your family, this is how it's going to be, this is how it's been for us, you know, these kind of terms that don't apply anymore because we can definitely forge a new path, you know, neurobiologically and neuroplasticity and all of that, right? How do our environment and experiences in childhood impact our health as adults? I am excited to bring you a conversation with my good friend Anu French about ACEs, also known as adverse childhood experiences and how ACEs affect our health and how we can become resilient in the face of these challenges. Dr. Honor French is a holistic pediatrician, artist, and musician who is double board certified in pediatrics and integrative medicine and double fellowship trained in integrative psychiatry and integrative medicine through Andrew, Dr. Andrew Wiles Center for Integrative Medicine. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, the co-host of this podcast and co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. For anyone who's curious about how their childhood may impact their health, this is a conversation you don't want to miss. Well, welcome Anu to the podcast. Great to have you on today and uh, so glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. So been following you through your Facebook and Instagram, and it's been, I think, I think maybe eight years since we graduated together from, from fellowship. Time flies, you know? Yeah, 2014. Yeah, yeah. Been great, great work. And um, I think the audience for the audience, just um, in terms of, you know, going through the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, and I know you've done some work with Integrative Psychiatry as well. Um, you're a pediatrician. You do a lot of work with, you know, academics, teaching. Um, you've, you've done such such a big, you know, a, a, a lot of amazing things. Uh, you're an artist, you're a musician. Um, I would love to hear, I know the audience would love to hear your story of how you got into holistic health and integrative medicine. Sure. Um, you know, I think our, our journeys of personal healing, I, I think we all have them, right? I know you have one too. And I think that brought many of us to the fellowship and that's how I came there because because I was you know I just had all these labels put on me by doctors I was just feeling unwell mind body spirit my children were also you know they were young at the time and just seemed to have all these little niggling chronic illnesses and all we were doing were popping pills you know and um, I think at that time I was just think there's got to be a different way to do this and just stumbled on really stumbled on a spam email <laughs> from the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. Well, at that time it was the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. And I said, oh, I should do this fellowship, not really thinking that I was going to practice it, honestly, but just that, you know, I need to do something to get my, my health back on track. Endometriosis, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, menstrual migraines. I mean, I can go on and on and on about all the, you know, all these things that you, these diseases that you suddenly start thinking you actually are, you know, and, um, you know, the, the fellowship just opened my world up to this whole nother global community of seekers and healers and, and um, just 
started this whole path of, I guess it's empowering, right? To understand that there are other ways to do things and, and learning how to integrate that into practice just sort of sort of organically flowed into my practice because I just started to say, hey, you want to try some probiotics? <laughs> oh, we should look at your vitamin D levels and, you know, just small things. But people were like, wow, you know, and then you bring, you bring in bags of supplements and being able to actually look at things with, from an, through an evidence-based filter, right? So exciting mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, I don't know what to do with that, you know? So that's really how that happened. And um, just feeling that the whole the whole concept of integration, you know, really practicing what we preach, really understanding sort of the vulnerability of being sick and trying to, to heal and understanding that it's a, on a day-to-day basis, right? It's on a moment-to-moment basis. I think it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, for that story. Um, I was just thinking as you were speaking that, that you know, this integration of mind, body, spirit that we we, we call this integrative medicine in, in the West, right? But in fact, probably in a lot of cultures that this is already like understood, you know? Right, um, it's just good medicine. It's just good medicine, right? Ayurvedic right. medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, you know, we look at sort of a, a lot of healing traditions in general. There's, you know, we know that the mind and the body and the spirit are connected. And I think this brings us to our topic today, which is, a really, really important topic for all of us, you know, whether um, at any age that, you know, listening to this, we all were children at one point, right? And, and you're a pediatrician and, and love to hear your thoughts on this idea of, you know, of adverse childhood experiences or what are called ACEs, you know, now. And, 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 um, and uh, I think first, let's just talk about, you know, ACEs and what is your concept or definition of, of ACEs? You know, why is it so important? And you can kind of get into some of those areas as well. Sure. And I think, you know, I, I've, I've talked a lot on this topic. Um, and I always like to sort of put a little disclaimer when we start, because a lot of the um, terms we're going to use and the topics we're going to talk about are triggering for a lot of people. Good and point. when you start bringing up the concept of an adverse childhood experience affecting your health and your health outcomes, a lot of people start getting anxious. And, um, you know, we, I love to quote Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. She's the pediatrician who really did that 2014 TED talk, which I highly recommend everybody watches, which changed my, you know, the trajectory of my professional life. And she talks about how we need to move from what, what's wrong with you to what happened to you. And so, I mean, we're going to go through some pretty heavy topics in the next few minutes, but I also want to make sure that we end on a, in a place of hope because knowledge is empowering and freeing and um, we are all neurobiologically resilient. Um, But I just always like to start with that because I, even when I talk about this, it sort of brings up my own trauma, you know, and we we don't want to re-traumatize. I I wonder if we should for ourselves and also for the, for our listeners, um, get into the body for 30 to 60 seconds. Would you mind doing some? I think that's a great meditation. Idea. Maybe we'll put our hands on our heart. Sure. Yeah. What, what do you normally do? Uh, I, I like the body scan, the body scan. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, you I wanna... do that like, you know, several times a day because awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm always in my head. So how do we drop into the body? So let's just find a comfortable position. Um, if you're seated, um, if you're lying down, it doesn't matter where you are right now listening to this, just get into a comfortable position. If you're seated, try to, I like to feel my feet in my shoes or on the ground, just the soles flat. And then just bring my awareness to my ankles and then my knees and my legs and my the seat of my body in the seat of the chair. And then bring that awareness all the way back up my to my shoulders and my neck and my jaw, which is kind of where I hold all my tension. Take a breath in and a breath out. And then feel your attention go down your arms to your fingers and then all the way down your body to your toes. And let's wiggle our fingers and toes. So we're just really dropping into our body and then bring that all the way back up the back of the body, the spine to the top of the head. And then just kind of feel the release of tension in the mouth and the jaw, you know, just taking another deep breath in and letting it all go. And then just feeling ourselves you know, gratitude for this body and all the functions in it that we sort of take for granted. 
And then opening our eyes. Just love dropping into the body. Mm, feels so good. Thank you so much. Can we do that for another uh, half an hour? <laughs> Need that. Yeah, it's so good to just do it through the day, you know, because someone else are seated a lot, right? And I just like to just, uh, just even wiggling one's hands and fingers and toes, I just feel like immediately brings me back mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. body. And, and, and I just, you know, I lost my father recently to a very chronic debilitating neurological disease. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And one thing that he couldn't do towards the end was he couldn't take a deep breath, he couldn't cough and he couldn't clear his throat. And I've just become like so grateful for those simple things. Like when I do mm. this, I do, <clears throat> or just, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm like, wow, like these are things we just take for granted. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. now I don't think I ever will again after watching him suffer like that and wow. just realizing how, how much those matter, you know, to our day to day. So I think, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I just wanted to, you know, honor him for that moment you know like just the gratitude for mm -hmm. for everything he taught me and what a great person and role model he has been in my life so but I was just thinking like you know like the body scan is so powerful because it just reminds us of how important our bodies are you know how much they do body scan is great it, it really brings us back to kind of uh who we are in the present moment right That's, absolutely right? We're, yeah our fingers and hands are tingling yeah. and we're, yeah, exactly. we're doing this yeah. yeah so you were asking what aces stand for so we you know defined it as adverse childhood experience or events but it's really these traumatic events and situations that happen during childhood that where physical and emotional needs are not met and you know they kind of came out of that landmark study in 1995 to 1997 where dr philidy and dr anda you know they they, they did it on 17,500 people you know, and they asked them these questions about 10 specific area of ACEs, and they started to see how that was, you know, connected to health outcomes and health diseases. So um, that's really what an ACE, that's the definition of an ACE, you know, an adverse childhood event or an adverse childhood experience. And, and, and it seems like, because uh, the first thing that came to mind when you think about ACEs often as, as abuse and there's different kinds of abuse, but it sounds like there's, there's other areas of ACEs, not just abuse. So I believe right. there's these 10 areas that, that we want to. Right. Absolutely. Cover. And you know, the 10 areas that were studied in the original study were physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, physical neglect, emotional neglect, um, parental mental health or suicide, mental illness or suicide, um, parental incarceration, parental substance use or abuse, domestic violence, especially violence against the mother that's witnessed, and then parental divorce or separation. So those were the 10 areas that were um, included in the questionnaire, you know, the original question. I mean, what is it over 50% of households are divorced, right? So that just that one category alone is right. Amazing. And that's kind of what started me on my journey, because yeah. my I got divorced in 2011. And my children came home from school. They were in this group called Kids in the Middle, and they were given this thing about ACEs. And I'm like, I'm a pediatrician. I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. And I was reading it, and it said if a child has is a ACE score of one, and we can talk about that a little bit. But one, that if they have a children of divorce, their risk for stroke is twice as an adult. So I was wow. like, okay, we we got to do something. And so building intergenerational resilience has sort of become everything I do, really, both personally. Mm -hmm. Professionally. But I do want to touch on modern day ACEs because I think our circumstances have also thrown out all of these other things like social isolation, peer rejection and bullying, poverty and homelessness, community violence. I mean, these are starting to be included now as also ACEs. And, and I think one thing that I, uh, a point I want to make is that the findings that Dr. Philidy from the original study showed that different types of adversity that they were examined were equal in their damage. Wow. So that's really important because I think society views something as sexual abuse as to be a lot worse than mm. maybe like, you know, um, parental incarceration. But in the original study, it didn't matter. The perception of damage that was done was the same regardless of the ACE. And so I think that's very, very important when we view these, you know, these, this toxic stress and this as a biomedical problem. Uh, I, I know, are you, are you saying that, that all of these different tenaces and the other ones that, that you mentioned, homelessness, social isolation, bullying, these more recent uh, phenomenon, or at least more recently um, recognized phenomenon 
end up sort of triggering or um, maybe activating the same biological pathways. Exactly, right. Okay. When we talk about how ACEs actually affect the body and mind and spirit, the, the, the damage that's done by them is sort of equivalent. Okay, okay. Board, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, I, I don't know if you want to get uh, into the deep uh, neurobio part of this, you know this probably better. Sure, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's there's um, different ways that the ACEs affect the body, right? So um, we know that they affect, impact developing brains and bodies, right? Because they're happening in childhood. And so the, the data shows that they affect structure and function. And so they actually affect the size of parts of brains. These children who've gone through ACEs, their brains like the amygdala, which is you know the center for fear, the hippocampus, which is the center for memory and, and emotion, um, and you know the prefrontal cortex, you mm -hmm. know, which is for ADHD, you know, for executive functioning and impulse control. All of these are smaller, okay. you know, on on actual uh, MRIs. We also know that the stress response is affected. So, you know, these, what happens is it sort of resets your, your ability to respond to, to stress, right? Yeah. And so we go from that sort of adaptive life-saving stress response to a maladaptive pro-inflammatory stress response. And so it affects everything in the body. It affects our hormones. It affects our immune system. It affects how epigenetically our DNA is read and expressed, you know, so this, it's really kind of profound, you know, how much um, the trauma in childhood actually affects really every physiological, biological, um, genetic expressive function in our body. Um, so, uh, you know, when we talk about ACEs and, you know, how it affects, you know, disease states, it also affects like, like, you know, sort of people talk about how, you know, it's a social problem, like a public health care problem, right? Because these, mm. these, these things lead to homelessness and poverty and incarceration and things. And we talk about these being cho choices, right? But actually, when you start thinking about how your body is affected by trauma, these aren't necessarily, you know, conscious choices. Yeah. You know, I think really especially important. as a child, you know, yeah, experiencing before the brain is fully developed. You yes. know, before the age of 25, really, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. right. Um, yeah, so then there's that differentiation between trauma that happens as an adult, which is also damaging, but then even probably more as a child that, that with that developing brain that's a bit more malleable, that's a bit more, you know, susceptible Absolutely. to these kind of stressors. And, and then we have intergenerational trauma, mm, right? So, right. you know, we've, and we've talked about this before, but we know that, I mean, we, we know that if a child... Um, if a woman experiences, has, if she has an ACE score of more than three, then her three-year-old child has a much higher chance of having developmental issues and being hyperactive and physically aggressive. And if a mother has, you know, you know, uh, an ACE score of more than three, then, you know, we see that they have more issues postnatally in that first year after having a baby. So, I mean, we see how that, and then we have children whose children's ACE scores actually impact their learning. So these, these, these landmark studies that came out in pediatric recently, you know, 80% chance of having trouble with learning math and having mm -hmm. lower literacy wow. skills if they have ACEs. And so just really, I think it's important that just educating, um, you know, educators and, 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 and clinical practitioners out there about how you know, we can't really have this false separation of the social history and the medical history, you know, because I think it's all one history because it impacts not just physical disease in the body, but affects, you know, how children perform. Yeah. You know, also, right? I mean, just that concept of intergenerational trauma that that the mothers or grandmothers trauma or ACEs for, for them when they were when they were little can can affect someone now, you know, that's that's mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. building resilience along generations becomes really important. So we talk about scoring ACEs and things like that. Um, right. Is it possible <laughs> to overcome those, you know, those early childhood events? Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important, again, as I was sort of that disclaimer, I mean, I remember the first time I heard an ACE talk, I was like, okay, I need to go get this questionnaire off the CDC and find out what my ACE score is, right? Because that's what everybody's sort of thinking when you're listening to this, okay, yeah. what is my ACE score? And, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's important to know that when you have, you know, higher ACE scores, it does 
um, increase your risk for chronic disease, you know? So, you know, if you're kind of wanting to look at those kinds of things, you know, yes, it triples the risk for this, it doubles the risk for this, it, it does decrease life expectancy and so on. But I always like to sort of, and then, you know, we have, we have all these, you know, experiences in childhood that can also increase your risk for, you know, depression and, and, and chronic fatigue syndrome and autoimmune disease and things like that. But, you know, um, once you know about it, it, you, it, it raises your awareness. And so I always advise people, okay, if you're going to do your ACE score, then we also need to talk a lot about, okay, what are you going to do about it? Right. Cause how are you going to offset it? And, and the good news is that there's lots of things you can do uh, that builds resilience which yeah. reverses the effects of ACEs. Got, okay. And that's fantastic because that's, that's, I think, really important for people to know. It's like, I'm a grown adult. You know, I'm already a fully formed person. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. going in and I'm finding I have this ACE score. What do I do next? Like, how do I, like, what do I do? So I think it's important to, um, to know that there are two pieces to this. One is like not to, to avoid re-traumatization and then to build resilience. And so creating trauma-informed communities, in creating trauma-informed offices like our office, we really, really work a lot on that, is creating safe spaces for communication. You know, how the cues of safety start with how we, you know, approach um, anybody, for that example, not just a patient, but anybody that we're talking to, you know, permission to stop and feel uncomfortable and speak up, you know, um, therapeutic listening, like active listening, right, motivational interviewing, and, you know, just understanding that, um, you know, how you interview somebody and how you get their ACE score is also important. So questionnaires that are built in a way that are not just, again, uh, bringing up all the old Right, jobs. not triggering. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then also moving immediately into intergenerational resilience. So building resilience for the caregiver mm -hmm. and for the child, because, you know, one of the most important things that's come out of ACE research is that if a child has one consistent, loving adult figure, it really offsets all the trauma, you know? And so it doesn't have to be a parent. Right. It can be a grandparent, it can be a coach, it can be a teacher, it can be a mentor. But having that one person who's consistently there um, in a safe space can reverse everything. So that's just, to me, that's hugely powerful. But how, how do we build resilience, right? You know, so, I mean, some of these things seem like they're sort of, you know, well, of course I know how to, I mean, this is, this is sort of straightforward, but, but, you know, the, the research about, you know, mindfulness practices, you know, whether they be, you know, moving meditation or seated meditation or moving practices like walking or yoga you know, these things, just huge, huge um, data showing that, you know, you have um, an increase in the gray matter in those areas we just talked about that shrink, they actually increase your gray matter actually expands when you do these processes. So it's reversible, the damage yes. from the trauma is reversible yeah. with practices of resilience, yeah. essentially. Yes, absolutely. That's and, I, and that's, to me, that's mind blowing because I remember learning in medical school that our brains and spinal cords are static, right? Now with the new concept of neuroplasticity, where we know that we can actually rewire and refire and, you know, like build these new pathways. It's so, so empowering to know that. And, and then, you know, they've actually done PET scans that show when you do yoga, you know, it, it decreases blood flow to the amygdala, which is the kind of the alarm center and increases blood flow to the frontal lobe and the prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, where we need for, for executive function and mm -hmm. also increases GABA, you know, yeah, which, yeah. Yeah, which is, makes you That's feel amazing. better, right? You know, so, so I think we know that um, doing mindfulness practices can actually increase, again, optimize the structure and function of your brain so, and your immune system and your, you know, your hormone system and all of them, yeah. So, so I, I think, Anna, what you're saying is that our, our brains are kind of like uh, chia pets, right? We can uh, use <laughs> yeah. meditation for the miracle grow, you know, on there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's good. And then, I mean, the other thing that's also really ex exciting is that when you do trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR, you know, and or neurofeedback, things that are, you know, trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive, mm -hmm. what happens is, you know, we, we talked about how you know, trauma impacts how our DNA expresses itself, right? So, you know, we talk about telomeres, which are the little shoelaces, right, at the end of our DNA, and these little sort of straggly, and the length of the telomere sort of determines the length of your life, 
right? And mm-hmm. so we have these studies showing that children who are born of adversity kind of come out with shortened telomeres. So mm-hmm. anything that we can do to, to decrease DNA strand breakage and, and improve. And again, that's the, with these studies showing that if you do trauma-informed CBT and EMDR and these things like that, you know, you find that you can reverse the DNA strand wow. breakage. And then what's really exciting is that a year after the, the, the therapy stopped, you, you still see sustained you know, sustained um, improvement. So again, I think I always kind of want to talk about how um, building resilience through, you know, you know, mindfulness and mindful movement and through music, through art, you know, through building things, you know, so robotics, cooking, um, you know, I always say Jenga blocks, you know, simple (laughs) things. Yeah. You know, just where you're actually doing something in a three-dimensional space, three, you know, spatial orientation where you're actually building things. Um, and then community connection, of course, you know, yeah. like where you're doing things in community, all of these things can really be powerful ways to build resilience. Um, so, so. Uh, yeah, and a community, like you said, just touched on there. I mean, that that's so huge. Do you think, do you feel like there's a difference between say meditating alone versus meditating in a group setting or a community setting? Yeah, I guess it depends on the person and the situation. Like I think of some of the children I see in my office who are bullied and who are traumatized by peer groups. Um, I think they would not be somebody I would recommend to go to a group therapy session. Like I would be teaching them how to find a a sense of, you know, sense of of mindfulness and a sense of center within themselves first. And so more safe spaces. Um, whereas, you know, there, there are definitely lots of studies for, you know, circles of sound healing and circles of group therapy, you know, especially for teenagers who might be facing diseases that are rare or chronic or kind of isolate them, then finding groups that have similar children with similar diseases or similar challenges can be really, really powerful because then they know they're not alone, you mm-hmm. know, and then that they have people that they can relate to. So I guess it really depends on the situation. So the medicine, the community, the medicine resilience can be personalized to that individual Absolutely. and their experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about sleep? How important is sleep with regards to, you know, ACEs recovering from trauma? Oh, it's so important. And, you know, I think the other thing that it sort of brings us back to is that one thing that the ACEs does is that it pushes us into this fright, flight, freeze, appease sort of situation because our hypothalamus pituitary axis and the sort of our neuroendocrine immune axes are just all put on alert. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the lion and the bear, like the, that, you know, we were supposed to be in the forest somewhere and then we were supposed to be ready for that. But then what they all, I remember Dr. Ha- Nadine Burkhardt saying, what if that bear comes home every night? What if the lion mm. comes around? That's so powerful, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You're put in that situation all the time. And so how do we move from that sympathetic overload to parasympathetic, right? You know, going from the, you know, fright flight to the, the rest digest, you know, right. and so I think that that's where restful sleep being able to actually fall asleep and not having to force yourself to go to sleep. And also understanding that we do so much of our detoxing and our resting at night, you know, when we're sleeping. So yes, building, you know, going into a place where our vagal nerve gets to rest, you know, um, I think it's really, really important piece of moving from those, uh, those situations and those, uh, those places of being so on alert all the time to calming down and resting. Yeah. Very important um, to decrease inflammation and to decrease the risk of chronic disease for sure. Um, and, and we know that food is medicine. You know, we, we talk a lot about this in integrative medicine. Um, and, and, and obviously there's, there's what we eat, but there's also probably, you know, how we eat and, um, I'm wondering your your thoughts about and your feelings about how food activates that that I guess that vagus nerves you know system and the emotions and everything. Um, right. What do you recommend for nutrition or how how to eat? Absolutely, and, and I mean I love those studies on mindful eating, right? You know, I I I have I'll have to find the reference, but I just remember reading about where you know we had ch- children who were you know. Uh, put into two groups and one group was given whatever they wanted to eat but they were taught to eat mindfully then we had another group who were given healthy food but there were all these distractions 
mm. you know, and the, the group that was eating mindfully, even though they weren't necessarily always eating healthy food was still, uh, you know, more healthier, you know, mm-hmm. the outcomes were healthier. So, so I think mindful eating is so difficult these days, right? I mean, all of us seem to, be, you know, we eat on the go, we eat in front of screens. We, right, right, you know, right, so right. I just trying to, again, this is talking about building intergenerational resilience within families. So I think sitting at the table together and eating a meal without any distractions mm-hmm. and paying attention to what we're eating, giving gratitude for what we're eating and teaching children where your food comes from, like this food chain, you know, yeah. right from nature, from nature the elements yes. to the farmers, to the people, you know, bringing the food to the grocery store, to whoever bought the food, whoever prepared the food, just bringing their awareness to that, I think is huge. And then being able to smell and look at the colors of the food and, and doing mindfulness practices around mindful eating. And then also just asking, I mean, I think teaching children how to connect their feelings and emotions to how they feel with different foods and smells taking you back to different memories. So I think mindful eating is important. And then intermittent fasting, I think is so important in building resilience. And it seems weird, like, how does that connect? But intermittent fasting allows you to rest your digestive system. And so again, it, it, it helps your vagal nerves health. And when you help your vagal nerve, your vagal nerve controls your breath, it controls, you know, your blood pressure, it controls your stress response, it controls everything. And so allowing it to rest and recover at night so that it's ready the next morning for whatever stress you're going to face, I think really is helpful. So resting and not eating, we weren't designed to eat 24 hours of the day, but now we have food 24 hours of the day and we're awake 24 hours of the day. And so we're munching all the time and we're eating all the time and we're eating mindlessly in front of screen. So I think um, bringing that sort of discipline into one's life of trying to eat within a specific number of hours and not eat within a specific number of hours you know, that, you know, I think that can be very helpful in building resilience. What, what do you tend to, to recommend for um, people that are looking at intermittent fasting in terms of number of hours? Yeah. yeah, I think the first thing I think is just to sort of maybe start with 12 hours, because, you know, I think 12 hours is doable. Yeah, you know, eating from, you know, eight to eight or seven to seven, you know, or nine to nine, you know, something like that, which is easier for people. And then slowly moving to the eight sixteen. you know, and I always, you know, it's always the thing to check with your doctor first, right? Because right. You know, there's some situations where fasting may not be healthy. Right, right. Absolutely. And certain constitutions, you know, uh, certainly people with eating disorders, we would. Yes. Would and, and yeah, we want to be careful. But I think just bringing that sort of that education to to families that you know resting the belly resting Mm -hmm. your digestive system is so important in in building resilience of the whole so we have different practices that that rest or balance the mind and the spirit and then and then certainly many practices like like fasting at times that would rest the body absolutely and and, and sleep and you know so we're we're kind of giving ourselves a break in a way letting that baby regenerate yeah. And then, you know, getting out into nature, you know, that's yeah. the other thing, of course, yes. right? So, I mean, it's so nice to have the summertime right now to be able to get out and yes. be in the, in, around the trees and, you know, mm-hmm. near bodies of water and, you know, just, um, again, being able to unplug, right, from Wi-Fi <laughs> and from electronics. I actually um, know one person that, that went to um, the park for, for a whole year and, and hug trees for, for a whole year and got, got rid of her chronic fatigue. I mean, she was in her early twenties. That's fantastic. Yeah. What a it's great like connecting project. with nature, you know? Yeah. I love that story. I mean, yeah, yeah. tree hugging, you know, yeah. such a beautiful thing to teach our children. Right. More, right. more than just a cliche, like the trees right. are actually giving us, the earth is giving us oh, energy. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I live in a neighborhood with these 200 year old oak trees. I mean, these giant oak trees oh, that beautiful. are just fantastic. And yeah. I remember when one of them died in our front yard and mm-hmm. my girls were little and we looked out the window and we, we, we cried when we saw it being cut it was being cut down by the mm, local mm. thing and then um you know we asked them to leave the little stump so we painted it and made it like a little my kid would have kids would have tea parties on it but you know saying goodbye to these trees you know just understanding that they're truly living creatures and creatures, they're giving yeah. us so much yeah that we're connected yeah. were they able to climb on them do they have like low branches enough to climb on the oak trees in the neighborhood or? no not the ones we have here these are like really huge yeah okay, yeah yeah but when yeah, they had yeah. to cut it down i think it mm. really affected us all because we 
realize how much we've gotten attached to this. Yeah, tree yeah, I, I think we all need. We definitely all need need trees. Um, I know you're into. I, I believe you're into yoga as well. Yeah, uh, and I always joke yeah. about this <laughs> because I've been doing yoga for a long time, but I'm terrible at it. And and you know when I walk into a classroom there's that innate bias oh she's from india she must be really good at yoga right <laughs> and yeah, i yeah i am so my you know i go because i know that yoga brings a flexibility to my thoughts and mm, my process mm-hmm. my body is still struggling to find that flexibility but it's okay i still keep going back but yeah i was yeah. very lucky to be to be invited to do like we did a um you know a review a, a review on yoga in children and it was included like the AP actually came out with a clinical mind body statement in Amazing. 2016 which is radical right yeah and they they did a review and I was Dr. Larry Rosen who's one of my mentors that asked me to co you know co, co-author this review and it, it really talks about how important you know yoga is as as far as you know just a therapeutic tool in in building resilience and treating so many chronic diseases in children so we can look at yoga as another possible way to to you know to deal with or build resilience for aces or yeah and there's so many classes that do both parent and child you know like mm, nice classes you know yeah lots of places give you know and it's a sort of family friendly yoga just mm-hmm. so that people mm-hmm. sometimes people are intimidated by yoga and I always tell people I'm so bad at it and I still go back to it and you can always just go and enjoy the experience of it, you know, because it's just mm-hmm. doing it as a family again, doing it together. Well, and I would definitely have to take a yoga class. So one time <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you, I'm not as flexible as you are. So no, <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm not as flexible. As you. <laughs> I'm not sure that my poses would even be called yoga poses, but uh, anyway, they're an approximation, uh, but you know, it's all about, you know, just, just doing our best and, you know, just, just being in the moment, being with what is. And um, I, I feel like, yeah, yoga is super helpful for, for me personally. I've just seen that to be super helpful for a lot of people. So um, Absolutely. get back in the body, yeah. kind of like we did in the beginning with body scan. Um, what are the other good kind of movement, um, mindful movements that you would recommend for this? Because it, it does sound like it's about getting into the body. Yeah. I mean, I love walking meditations. You know, again, I think yeah. that I'm not a great seated meditator. I my mind is just always very busy, and so I find it so easy to fe- be present in the moment if I'm moving. And one thing we used to do with our, my children when they were younger is just, you know, we'd all walk 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 around the house together, and we'd all hold a word in our minds, and then we'd sit down and talk about the word. And it just takes a few minutes. Um, to do that and it was really fun you know they start off with little things like you know words like ice cream and <laughs> lollipop and, and it kind of then it got a little bit more you know a little deeper after that but but I think walking as a family walking meditations walking outside is great because you have to sort of be present in the moment right so yeah. you kind of know where you are you need to know where your body is in space mm-hmm. and time so I love walking meditations and I think medical qigong qigong mm-hmm. is great another one and then chair yoga yoga that is in chairs for people who you know for who have accessibility mobility issues so just trying to you know make these mindful movement um, options accessible you know, right. And now we have so much, I mean, here with so many people doing outdoor yoga in the park, you know, which is fantastic, you know, because you're getting kind of benefit of being outdoors and also doing yoga and Qigong outdoors. What about for, I guess, for kids and adults, some kinetic therapies, massage, acupuncture, body work? Yeah. And I think, again, uh, you know, I I will talk a little bit more at the end about the integrate network that I'm part of, but I think, you know, looking for, you know, trauma informed, um, I think is really important. I think when you're talking about somebody touching yeah. your okay. body, you know, and especially touching children's bodies, it's really mm-hmm. important with chiropractic massage, manual mm-hmm. medicine of any kind, acupuncture, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important that, that, that we have someone who understands that some of these kids might have already been traumatized through touch. And so mm-hmm. we're using touch. We need to do it in a respectful way and in a way that's, you know, definitely cognizant of that, but definitely a lot of good, um, you know, therapeutic modalities, you know, craniosacral therapy, Reiki, right. Energy, yeah. therapeutic touch, um, really, really gentle ways of, you know, getting the energy flowing through children again. And then also you know, massage, definitely um, very, another, another thing I always like to mention is like sort of, you know, using animals. So pet therapy pet and therapy, yes. therapeutic horsemanship has become a big, mm-hmm. you know, horses have become a huge, 
yeah. um, you know, sort of way of children to connect with animals and then connect with themselves. So I think those are also important um, modalities that one can use. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And recommend. And any herbs that you have um, found to be helpful, um, herbal therapy, plant medicine, you know, anything of their, that nature? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I do like um, magnesium in an Epsom salt soak, you know, I that's, was, that's anybody, the best. yeah, anybody <laughs> can do that. And children love being in a tub, you know, they just yeah. love, you know, playing in water. And so it's such an easy way to sort of get kids to sort of detox and calm down. So I love magnesium is one kids of and them. adults kids and adults, adults right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and bath time is another great opportunity to build intergenerational resilience because you know everybody's sort of having fun together yeah. and everybody's present in the moment and water is such a great you know great way to do that and there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do in the tub now with all those you know those coloring things and you know things nice. like that yeah but you know I think that's one thing I, I like and then I, I as far as herbal and plant medicine I, I do like theanine you know, mm -hmm. L-theanine, which is an amino acid from green tea. So it's very mm -hmm. safe and it's available mm -hmm. in chewable and powder forms for kids. And that's one thing that I use quite a bit in my practice for the anxious, agitated, unfocused child. So I okay. do love um, theanine. Yeah, great. I like that quite a bit, yeah. Um, what, is, what is one thing you wish everyone knew about ACEs? ACEs, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I wanted to share a quote actually from another person that I admire greatly in this field, Donna Jackson Nakazawa. She's one of the, another big, great teacher in the field of ACEs. And she has this quote that is so beautiful. She says, even if we be, have been set on high reactive mode for decades or a lifetime, we can still dial it down. We can respond to life's inevitable stresses more appropriately and shift away from an overactive inflammatory response. We can become neurobiologically res res resilient. We can turn bad epigenetics into good epigenetics and we can rescue ourselves. So I think the one thing that I want everyone to know about ACEs is that you know, two thirds of Americans have ACEs, if you look at all the data. So 70% of us are walking around having had some kind of ACE, you know, so, but 100% but of us are resilient, you know, so because resilience is not something you're born with, it's actually the ability to bounce back. So it's actually something that you can be taught, you know, and so if we recognize it and we bring this into our awareness, then we can empower ourselves to actually become resilient. And so I think that's the take home message I want, because, you know, I, again, like I said, you know, this is a pretty heavy topic and I want people to understand that, you know, you, you can definitely bounce back and you can definitely become resilient and you can reverse generations of epigenetic trauma, you know, I would say, you know, you can be a change maker and a chain breaker, you know, so I tell my girls that what we want to do, we want to just break the cycles of epigenetic trauma and things that we've been told, like this runs in your family, this is how it's going to be, this is how it's been for us, you know, these kind of terms that don't apply anymore, because we can definitely forge a new path you know, neurobiologically and neuroplasticity and all of that, right? That's so, that's so awesome. That's so amazing. That's such a hopeful message. And just to paraphrase Gandhi for, for another uh, famous person is, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to, um, to see the change, we have to be the change, right? That's um, absolutely, absolutely. And, and just to throw a little functional medicine in there, you know, we know that in functional medicine, they always talk about how you know, your genes are not your destiny. But as you were speaking here, I was just kind of feeling in my heart. I was like, oh, well, you know, traumatic experiences are not your destiny either. You know, so these ways we can really cultivate that resilience that's acquired throughout life that we're not born with, but we, we acquire through the life wisdom experience, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And reaching out for help and connecting with people and, you know, creating teams around us that mm -hmm. can help us be trauma informed and both at work and also within the family. Absolutely. Anu, when should people see a therapist, a, a mental health professional? With well, I mean, I think that it's, you know, if you, if you're going to do your A score and you're okay. going to, you know, find that you have a high A score and, and you're starting to get anxious and worried about this, I think you seeking out a trauma-informed therapist is important. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I, I mean, in our office, I mean, the first thing is we want to keep the kids safe. And so right. if you find right. that kids are in active situations of, of, of ACEs, you know, yeah. we definitely want to. That's always a big, sure. big consideration. Um, and then of course, your beautiful background, we have to, we have to look <laughs> at your, the walls of your, this is really your artwork. I my, believe. Yeah, this is my, my home office. Behind you. Um, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. how, 
how do you how do you feel about art and music and sound healing which i know you you do that yourself yeah. you're writing you're oh. an author um how does how is that related to you know cultivating resilience oh so important and i think i mean i always say that all of these things saved my life you know because i you know you know 10 years ago i was just sick you know i was sick in mind body spirit and you know, you, you, you start these things that I was doing for a long time, sound healing and art and so on, sound, you know, chanting and singing and, and drawing and coloring. You start looking at the research and hundreds of studies that show how art decreases your cortisol, how sound, you know, actually in, induces a positive immune response. You know, you actually see cytokine change from anti-inflammatory to pro-inflammatory uh, pro to anti-inflammatory, you know, over time. And so I think that I always say we're all, we can all be sound healers for ourselves. We can all be sound therapists for ourselves. Like it doesn't take that much to hum or tone in the shower. It doesn't take that much to, to listen even passively if you don't want to actively, but within any culture, any religion, any, any belief system, there are ways to chant repetitively and go from mm -hmm. a place of dissonance to resonance, yeah. you know, and, you know, and, and really come into alignment and vibrational alignment. So I mean, I think for me, sound healing, you know, that's I taught, was teaching my children about this. And that's how the music sort of came. The ones, the music that I've put out there is all based on, you know, you know, personal experience. Yeah, music and chanting and singing or, or listening to music, even listening to sound healing. It really, it really helps the cells from a deep cellular level get get into um, a resonance, you know, like you said. Absolutely. Uh, there was a, a, a there's um a sound healer that uh, we we were were taught in our, our fellowship at Trish Devney in, in Tucson, so um I was I was talking with her on our one of our um you know webinars that that we did you know I think you were on our webinar as well, um and she was talking about how she overcame viral hepatitis in France through sound oh, healing no. because at that time you know, at that, in that era, they didn't have like the interferons or whatever. Right, right, So, right. I mean, she was like, I'm, I'm going to become a sound healer. And, and then a year later, the doctors checked her titers and stuff. And they were like, there's no hepatitis. And <sighs> it was just amazing. Like just the, what you had said about resonating, you know, with the cells and like increasing or decreasing different cytokines, you know, through sound. Right. I mean, I mean, there are like over 60 studies showing, you know, the, the positive psychoneuroimmunological effect of music. I mean, there's tons of studies showing how, you know, it really can, can really help, you know, that the immunological, you know, pathways, you know, become po more positive, you know, the, the stress response, decrease the stress response. And, and drumming circles are the other thing that can oh, be powerful yeah, yes. for mental health, physical health, everything. Absolutely. I wanted to give a shout out to a wonderful grassroots organization that I'm part of called Integrate. Um, and this was started several years ago by Julianne Johnson. Um, it was basically to connect people in the trauma-informed world. And now she's Julianne Johnson and Victoria Manuela. They've taken it to a national level and it's doing wonderfully. And it's um, basically creating resources that are trauma-informed on, on a virtual platform. So the one that's coming up, we have a, a, a wonderful conference coming up, which is where you sign up and it's a sliding scale. So it's very affordable. And, you know, over three months, you'll get um, the, in your, every week, you'll get an email with um, practitioners sharing their way of regulating their nervous systems, sort of sharing their secrets, so to speak. And, and I, I've talked a lot about the neuroscience of mantra on that and sound healing and chanting and how it really helped me. But, but it's a wonderful organization to, to get involved. And in. also, if you'd like to join there, you know, there's a, they have a Facebook page and then they have a website with trauma-informed resources on it. So I really wanted to um, give a shout out for that because that has been a real wonderful resource for me locally. It used to be just the trauma-informed uh, network of St. Louis and now they've it's become integrated and it's on a national level and they're doing wonderful and they're doing a Reiki workshop that's coming for grief processing. And then they, they do like accessible yoga for accessible, accessible yoga for all kinds of bodies. And then they, um, they, we had just done one on like, you know, how to parent your inner child to become a better parent and things like that. So, so I just wanted to make sure that that's, um, you know, I, I just brought attention to the great work that they're doing. And I'm very grateful to be part of it. Thank you, Anu. What, what a wonderful organization. So it's Integrate. Is there a, is there a website or? Yeah, it's like, it's called Let's Integrate. That's, yeah, that's, so if you search it on Facebook or uh, Google it, it pops right up and it's a trauma-informed network, yeah. And if, um, and if you go to anufrench.com, you know, under advocacy, 
all the wonderful um, organizations that I've been, uh, you know, really honored to be to partner with are on there under advocacy on on my website too. Yeah, it gives you direct links to all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anu, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, we really appreciate this amazing discussion about a really important topic, um, ACEs, and then and then how to how to become or you know cultivate resilience so that we can we can overcome. Um, what is one thing that you've done personally, if you don't mind, that's our closing question for you that, that uh, has changed your health for the better? Yeah, I think personally for me, um, art, you know, yeah. so, you know, making sure that I do a little bit of affirmative art every day, you know, to remind myself, you know, that I am, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I am strong, I am. And, you yeah. know, and I think, you know, for me, it's like, you know, building healthier communities through healthier kids, right? That's kind of sort of the motto of, everything that I put out there. And, you know, I do encourage people to join me. Um, my, my website is anufrench.com okay. and it's a new wellness and I have a newsletter that you can sign up for. And then there's a t whole int integrated medicine cabinet on there that has lots of resources from all our mentors and people that we admire, you know, I just kind of gathered everything and put it in one place. And I think that if you look, go on the website, you'll see how art has really been a huge part of my life. You know, I call it craftivism. So you take the art to the next level where, you know, I, I've partnered with many companies where, you know, creating all these beautiful things, but all the proceeds go back to global literacy or human rights or women's rights. And so that way, you know, I'm creating art for my own health and then I'm putting it out there so that it uplifts other people. And that's then also, amazing. yeah. So I think art for me is the most important thing. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. really kept me going, changed my life. And then it's kept me going on a day. And then again, creating messy art with your children, another great way to build intergenerational yes. resilience. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. So um, go to honorfrench.com and you have your, a new wellness newsletter on there. You have art. I know you have these beautiful t-shirts. I definitely want to get <laughs> yeah. one. For... Yeah, there's all kinds of yeah, accessories and apparel yeah. and stationery. And it's just really fun to, to be creative and keep designing these things. And then there's also, I mean, I also have presence on Facebook and Instagram also if people want to follow. Mm -hmm. I just is like it, what, what is your handle on? It's, on, on uh, Instagram, it's a new wellness dot anu French. Okay. And then on Facebook, it's a new wellness by Dr. Anu French. Yeah. Got it. And I think it's right. If you're watching on YouTube here, um, after the fact, this is definitely on the background here. I see your uh, poster right behind. Yeah, you, so yeah, you yeah. Can check that out too on the video. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ani, for coming on. Uh, great to great to see you here and connect here. And, uh, and well, thank we'll you definitely, so much uh, for having me. It's later, been yeah. Fantastic talking to you and and um, on a topic that's really close to my heart. And I hope we've left everybody with, you know, in a place of empowerment and hope. Yes. And positivity. So. That, yeah, that we can reverse aces and build resilience. Yes. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.